no one could help me because I wouldn't let anyone know what was wrong. And that then there I was being forced to get help. And it was the first time I felt safe. And like, that was such a big moment for me. I'll never forget that. Welcome to your Journey to Joy podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski, and I'm on a mission to help you find joy in the chaos of life. As a retired nurse, multi-passionate entrepreneur, and mom of four adult children, I know what it's like to feel the overwhelm of it all and wonder if and when the joy will show up again. And I've learned it's up to us to go find that joy. On this show, you will hear inspiring stories from those who have overcome all kinds of life challenges, tips on how to stay healthy and vibrant during the ups and downs of life, and simple ways on finding joy in your own life. Let's face it, life is messy, yet when we travel together on this journey, support and encourage each other along the way, that joy starts to show up again. I'm so excited to lead you on this journey of you to find the joyful life that you deserve. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. Um, another one of my favorite days today where I love to share things that I'm doing each day to uh, bring joy into my life um, and overcome challenges and things like that. But I also love to bring those guests that I can bring to you so that they can share their stories and you can be inspired by them. So Jill Pavlov, um, I met through a LinkedIn uh, course that we're doing together. And um, she reached out to me as I shared my podcast with that group and what I do with this and try to share uh, again that idea of hope and joy. And Jill reached out and said, you know, I have a share a story to share that I'd love to uh, share on your podcast and uh, if it's relevant. And it certainly is relevant today. So Jill, before we go any further, I welcome you to my podcast. I'm happy to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm I'm happy to be here. And you know, anytime I hear the word eating disorder, my ears perk up because as we'll discuss, there is so much shame around it that you don't really hear people talking about it. So when people do talk openly about it, I get right in there. I'm like, let's talk about it. Right. So thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. And um, yeah, we can get right into it again. And I think that's what I've seen with with my life, with our daughter's experience, with just talking with so many other people that have struggled, there's so much, there's so much secrecy and there's so much shame. Like, you know, you should talk about it and open ourselves up to get the help and things like that. But it's such a, but people don't, they live in this, this um, world of secretive and manipulation and things like that. And, um, and so I'd love for you, as I ask my guests, you know, just share your story share things that are relevant, um, not all the down and dirty and all of that kind of stuff, but just so we can have a little bit of an overview. Cause I know, as you shared with me, your eating disorder lasted quite a bit of your life. Um, so share with that. And then I think the most important thing is, you know, what was that pivotal moment, that pivotal time that really turned you to that other place and that place of hope and feeling like, yeah, I can do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to head towards recovery as opposed to living in this cycle of hurt and struggle. Yeah. Well, it's going to take me probably till the end of my story to get to the hope part, which is, but, but it's there. Um, mm-hmm. And I won't take you all the way back to my birth because of time, but I do kind of feel like there were certain things that were ingrained in me from birth that are a, puts in our heads. I grew up watching a lot of TV and and back in the eighties and nineties, it was all about being beautiful and being popular. 
Long story short, um, at age 16, I developed my eating disorder because I wanted to reinvent myself in college. I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to be beautiful. I wanted to be popular. You know, the thing about eating disorders is you can stay in denial for a very long time. It really took me a long time to, to get to the point where I recognized it even as an eating disorder. And I think that that's what stops people from getting help in the beginning too, is that you, you kind of find a way to excuse behaviors that aren't really normal and, and definitely aren't healthy. So my journey, it, it was 17 years long. Again, I won't take you down each and every step of the way, but early in my twenties, I go to a few inpatient treatments and they just didn't click with me. And for 10 years, I didn't tell anyone. I was way too embarrassed to tell my parents that I had failed. You know, they graciously paid for me to go to, to this lovely rehab for my eating disorder. And, and I didn't want to disappoint them. I didn't want them to think that it was, wasn't worth it or, you know, it was very embarrassing. I, I would lie to therapists. You know, your therapist is the one person that you should be able to tell the truth to. But there was so much shame that I, went, that I just would tell my therapist that everything was fine. I wish that I could say that I was the one that realized that I really needed some help all these years later, but it got to a point where I had just dropped too much weight and I, I suffered from almost having a seizure and, and fainting. And my parents, this was back in 2018, sent me to a different inpatient center that really changed my life. And that was the place that gave me hope. And something I said to you before we started talking was that you know, I want to, I want to give people the hope that if I can do it, anyone can do it. And when I went to this rehab, there was an RN or, or, or one of the techs there. And she said, if I can do it, anyone could do it. And I remember thinking, well, not me. I've tried this for so long. It was the one thing in my life that I was consistently failing at, you know? And so I didn't think that there was any hope for me. And I look back on that moment and I'm like, I wish I'd go back in time and tell that girl, like, don't worry, girl, that could be you too. Because to where I am today, just a little over four years later, is is a completely different person. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit me in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, which is awesome again. And we don't know. Um, I think there is that that message of we don't know. I mean, words have power. So we don't know sometimes what we say to people, um, how we say it to them. That can it can it can be a negative, but it also can change, you know, change their life. Oh, I can still remember being six years old in the pool with Ashley Rosenthal and her telling me about my ears being big. Six years old. And I can remember. Mm -hmm. I know. So many years later. Things stick with you. Well, and they stick with you. And I was um, interviewing somebody earlier today and um, we were talking about just those. It's the past and those stories that are then created by the words that are said to us. If it's like, oh, well, you're not really good enough or your ears are too big or your your lips are too small or, you know, you're not good at the sports team. Or I mean, I often share that my grandmother, bless her soul, and, um, you know, she would always say, oh, Moira, you have a little trouble with things like I don't know what that means. I really don't know. And um, but I took it to believe that. I was a little less than everybody else in my family. And again, as I was telling my the previous guest that I was talking with, you know, I'm I'm very different than my siblings, personality-wise and stuff like that. And but as I was growing up, I took that to believe that there's something wrong. You know, I was different than them, but there was something wrong with me. 
But again, it's the point that people will say things and then we create these stories in our head that that's the good, the bad, that's where we, the way we are. And it's not, it's again, we just have to be careful with the words that we use because they're very powerful. Yeah. I can say that all copywriter that I truly believe that words are powerful, but that's a whole nother conversation. Right. Well, that's true. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's the uh, profession that you are in. <laughs> On so many levels, words are very powerful. And why do you think, again, there is so much secrecy, there's so much um, hiding of things, um, but how do you, again, for, I guess, one thing that stuck out, you said you wanted to create a new identity um, before you went to college. And and was that, be, tell us a little bit about that. Was that because of your, you know, you weren't happy at home or, you know, what was that all about? I kind of flew under the radar in high school. I was kind of neither here nor there, although I like trended towards the dorky end of the spectrum. And I guess I just, I had these dreams of being in theater so I always wanted to be noticed and I just never was and I was like I gotta do something I don't know why my brain went to that um I can say I I, I definitely saw a few television programs back in the day where it glamorized anorexia and bulimia and that kind of led me to that conclusion but it felt great in the time being, I felt like I was reaching some kind of goal, which is what the eating disorder tells you, right? If you want to achieve all these goals that are, that you're not achieving, you kind of distract yourself with the goal of, of a weight of a number, whatever it is. Well, it's that idea of, of identity. Cause sometimes people have, you know, they've, I've talked with people that have, say they were a ice skater. Now this one particular gal, she was a competitive ice skater. And then her family her dad got a job transfer like all across the world. They went to Japan and she had to go with and she couldn't skate there. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know what my identity is anymore. And she started struggling with that. And she developed her eating disorder or the Olympic athletes talk about this. If you've never watched that, um, what is it? Uh, the price of gold, you know, with Michael Phelps, he talks about like they have this identity and then it's gone. And, you know, so you wanted to create a new identity um, to feel better about yourself or? Yeah, to feel better about myself, to, to stand out. You know, for some reason, for me, beauty was connected to achieving my dreams because my dreams were related to Hollywood, uh, which isn't that far-fetched in, in, in some respects, right? So that was that was one of the first steps, you know, I... I never was told what I could or couldn't eat growing up. Actually, the one thing I wasn't allowed to eat was cotton candy for some reason. And to this day, I don't even enjoy no, it or well. crave it. But <laughs> everything else was on the table. And I just loved to snack. I was just like a binge snacker without recognizing what that was back in the day. Um, and I wasn't a very active kid. I loved comedy. I loved watching movies and TV. So that led me to, you know, have a little bit of a, a doughy body in my mind. And I wanted to shape that up. And, and that's what I did the summer before college was to, to ramp up this eating disorder and change myself through changing my appearance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Working from the outside on the way in was what I thought it was, but other way. Right, right. So again, as you hid things, I mean, I, tell me, like, did you have an active social life or not? Because you were hiding things or like, 
How was that impacted as you went away to college? And No, I was definitely like FOMO personified. Like I wanted to be, that was part of my disorder was I wanted to be the it girl. I wanted to be the party queen. You know, this led me down other addictions, which this podcast isn't about, but um, just another fun comorbidity. That's kind of how that that manifested for me. But I was, I always kept myself very social uh, it definitely made things harder to to hide. My freshman year of college, I somehow didn't, I, you know, I was very new at things and I, I somehow didn't realize without going into so much detail that people who were in the bathroom with me could hear the things that I'm doing. Mm. Um, so I was reported to our RA. That was my first kind of round of forced therapy with it. So, so people kind of knew about it, but it never kept me from being social. Mm, yeah, which is un- sometimes unusual because, again, I've talked with other people that are like, yeah, I kind of I didn't go out because it, I had to. Again, I had my routine of things that I did. And so it impacted who I could be around or those choices that I made. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely say that I would sometimes leave events early because I was hungry to go get binge food because like going through the drive through at McDonald's sounded more appealing than being in the social scene at that point. So I guess it did affect in, in some ways. So you went to some traditional treatment and it didn't work, but then again, getting close to, I mean, having a seizure or things like that. I mean, that must've been quite a wake up call to you. You would think to change your behaviors and things. I think my biggest wake up call was when I got to this facility. Um, my, my parents actually had, I was home in Phil back home in Philadelphia where I'm from. And my parents had an intervention for me. Um, and instead of flying home to Florida that day, I was flown out to Arizona where the, the treatment program was. And it was a very long day. It was very emotional. And when I got there and I finally put my head on the bed and I screamed bloody murder when I got to this facility and they took away my phone and I fought it with everything in my being. I thought about running away at the airport. But I'm telling you, when I put my head on the pillow, it was the first time in years where I was like, I'm safe. Mm-hmm. And I felt like someone is going to help me because I have no choice right now. I was, I, no one could help me because I wouldn't let anyone know what was wrong. Mm-hmm. And that then there I was being forced to get help. And it was the first time I felt safe and like, that was such a big moment for me. I'll never forget that. And and I think that's when I decided to put the work into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also went to a treatment program where you don't just sign up for a certain number of days. That was very important. Um, you get out when you're ready to get out. So I had to spend three weeks like in the hospitalization unit before I could even move up classes. You have to like work to get out of there. Mm-hmm. So that, um, you know, I think that that's very I don't want to say strategic, that makes it sound manipulative, but it, it it was a big help because instead of being like, okay, I'm just wasting my 30 days here, I had to work to get better in order to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And then it's just happened. I was just gonna say, but then you're out of the insanity and you're kind of in this habit of healthiness, which is nice. Yeah. Well, a lot of, t- you know, they do, I've seen that with, they have kind of a level program where, or a level system there, you have to get you have to achieve this certain things, these different milestones, if if you will, in your health before you get to the other next place. And some people may think that's like you want to, again, if you're ready to go and get the help, it's like, let's get started on it. But 
off. I mean, and I would think in your case, and I've seen that with our daughter, like you're so sick. I mean, you have to get yourself medically stabilized. That's the most important thing is to stabilize your health in that regard. Because if people don't know that, I mean, eating disorders are have some of the highest morbidity of any of the mental health disorders. And um, it really, really impacts your body. So, so again, I'm glad that again, you had that moment where you turned to say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to start working towards this. Cause it's not just like you flip the switch, unfortunately, and like you're better, it really does require the work. Yeah. Because your, your brain fog lifts and you can see more things more clearly. Yeah. But I would ask the question too, because there's, again, that's a long time that you said, I mean, there was 17 years and there was lots of habits and things and like, reassuring yourself or the eating disorder reassuring you that you're going to be okay if you stay here like you know and to undo those behaviors or undo those habits were there certain things that that you found really helped you or that are continuing to help you kind of stay on that path I mean definitely getting on um like a meal plan a meal program just sticking to something for a while, um, intuitive eating helps. And you, you also, you can't just go right from an inpatient facility back into the real world too. You got to transition out of it as well. So that that's also part of it is like sticking to the plan, like with your people. So you go from inpatient to outpatient down to therapy, like keeping that accountability I think is really important, like an important level of it. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's sometimes not enough support between that when you leave a facility and when you're home to kind of do it on your own. Even they say, you know, like they say, hook up with a therapist, but it's just not the same. Yeah. It's not the same level of care. And sometimes there's a lot of insecurity in that. It's funny. There's habits that still kind of creep into my subconsciousness. Like one thing I always think about is when I go into a public bathroom and it's like a nice private bathroom, my brain is always like, oh, this is so nice. And then I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything in here, so it doesn't matter. But I still always kind of clock it of like, oh, this is a good location to, you know, that do that, which will not be said. Mm-hmm. Um, or even I, I have a hard time throwing away leftovers because I used to hoard food back in the day because I, I, I spent all my money on food. So I often was completely broke. Mm. So I would hold on to leftovers. So that's, that's a habit that my husband is still trying to break me up. is <laughs> cleaning out the fridge of leftovers. But mm-hmm. what he first thought was laziness is, is a comfortability to me of like, oh, I'll have food if I. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Again, things that people don't even think, Yeah, you know, think about. And how has it been with, I always like to talk about relationships too. Like, how has it been with relationships with your family or your friends, or even you're now, you know, wonderfully married, you know, how is it with, um, again, that shame and that guilt and kind of getting past that and the acceptance of that? How, how, how has that changed? Again, I think that at least for, for me, I know that having somebody in your life that struggles, I mean, those relationships change. And I think the thing too, is that it changes your values, you know, whereas I'm a very honest person, my eating disorder had me lying, especially to my family who, you know, above all, I I try to always be honest with. So it makes you like compromise your values and and morals. And that was the thing I hated about the eating disorder. I can't say I hated about the most, I hated everything about it. Um, But 
lying to my parents, it just always felt filthy. It felt disgusting. And that only fueled my eating disorder. You know, I, I probably stole from them a few times, like a few bills here and there. Um, it makes you do things that the real you would never even think of doing. So not having that guilt in my relationship with my parents has definitely helped. Um, and then and I also see like in my relationship with my husband, you know, I kind of compare it to the other most serious relationship I had years ago where I lived with a man and like, I couldn't wait for him to go out of town on, on work. Not so I could cheat on him. Like, like some people would, but so that I could have a binge fest and like do all, all my business. Because when you live with someone else, it's a lot harder to hide it. And oh my God. And now my husband travels for work and I hate when he goes away mm-hmm. and my brain will still think like, Oh, going away. You can party now in, in that sense. And then I'm like, well, no, we don't do that anymore. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's nice because I, whereas in the past I pushed my ex away because I, I, I wanted to be closer to my food and have that space for my food, like go in the other room so I can do my stuff. I don't, I don't have that with my husband. Brought to you by Gorski Wellness and the possibility of a better you. Are you feeling sluggish? Ready for a change? Need more energy? Up for a bigger challenge? I'm Moira Gorski, retired nurse and wellness advocate. For over 22 years, I've been helping people live healthier lives while making small changes each and every day. Those small changes lead my clients to living a healthier lifestyle with markedly better health. As a brand ambassador for the Shackley Corporation, the most clinically proven wellness company in the world, I guide my clients to make healthier choices each day with their food, supplements, skincare, workouts, and mindset. They say getting started is half the battle. Let's make healthy happen together. If you're ready for simple, natural, sustainable solutions to feeling and looking your best, let's connect. You'll find a link in the show notes or reach out to me at moiragorski.com. Here's to a better you. You know, you're living in a healthier spot and it's, it's those, um, the things that you choose, again, you're choosing relationships, you're choosing to be with the good relationships, the healthy ones with your husband, with your family, um, as opposed to this terrible, insidious, awful relationship that we seem to have with this thing that takes over our life, the eating disorder, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What are some things that really help you or helped you during that time? If it was a a book or somebody you listened to or different or journaling or whatever it is, are there certain things that really kept you on track or that really keep you on track these days? Yeah. I mean, I'm a writer, so words always helped. In the beginning, I was doing a lot of journaling. These days I write for a living, so it's kind of hard for me to write on a personal level. My brain's a little exhausted by the end of the day, but I love lists, especially gratitude lists. I have um, a book of lists from my therapist who knows how much I love lists, 52 lists for happiness, highly recommend it because it doesn't take a lot of writing to get a lot out of it. My biggest tool is playing the tape through and I use it to this day when I get cravings, because unfortunately those cravings do still, still creep in. You're never immune from them. You have to keep working every day. But playing the tape through, instead of just thinking about, oh my gosh, I really want this food. It's going to satisfy me. This is going to be so amazing. I think about to the morning after where I'm going to feel so guilty and disgusting. I'm going to feel bloated. 
I'm going to absolutely have the worst heartburn. I know I always, you know, that was always awful to deal with the next day. I'm going to feel dehydrated the next day. I'm going to feel sluggish. So playing the tape forward, instead of thinking about that instant gratification and starting to think about how terrible I'm going to feel if I go through with it, that really helped me a lot. Um, And it seems really simple, but it's not something that I did in the past. It's not Mm -hmm. something that I, that I thought to do. No, I like that. I like the way you said that. And I've never heard it said that way, but it's that, uh, I don't know what other people say, worst case scenario or best case scenario or things like that. But we're also living in this world of instant gratification, mm-hmm. right? So we're just thinking about the moment and like, how is it going to feel now uh, getting that dopamine hit? Yep. And often we don't think about, again, what is, what's it going to be like two hours from now or two days from now or the next morning? So I think that that's very, it's a very valuable very valuable tool or things to think about. Do you write that down or just kind of go through it in your head? I usually go through it in my head because it's like a heat of the moment thing. I got to like white knuckle it and, and talk myself off the ledge. And um, did you ever, I know that sometimes it's been helpful. I mean, have you ever been part of support groups or? Absolutely. Support groups are are great. Again, in erasing the shame once we realize how how many of us there are. I don't go to as many these days, but in my early recovery, it was absolutely necessary just for the again the companionship too i'm very lucky because one of my best friends that i met in treatment ended up moving down here to florida so i have that constant friend who who totally totally gets it on another level that we can kind of bounce things off of but it's it's important because because again this disease is so misunderstood. Like you said, it has one of the highest morbidity rates, but it is one of the most overlooked mental disorders. I think because it gets masked as a vanity disorder because on the surface it is, oh, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z because I want to be skinny. That's what it looks like to people who don't understand this disease, if we're being honest. Um, you know, it's the thing that models do so they can walk the runway or whatever. It, it just has a really terrible stigma. But I think if people understood that it is about so much more than the external surface, like this is this disease ravages your mind. It absolutely does. And, and it needs to get more attention. As I've said many times here, it's not if it's an eating disorder, if it's binging or not eating or drugs or alcohol or porn or shopping. I mean, it's not about those things. Those are the coping mechanisms that we choose to take on to deal with that other stuff that's going on on the inside, you know, or those thoughts or those feelings or or the trauma or the little trauma or whatever it is. It's all those things that are happening. And then we're choosing something to grab onto that's going to help us feel better. And, you know, I, it's funny because you and I are bo- both being entrepreneurs. Um, I remember back in the day, I used to see a lot of people who used to be in, who I'm sorry, a lot of people who are in recovery end up being entrepreneurs because it's a form of a dopamine rush as well. And I remember back in the day, like being like, darn, why can't I just be addicted to work like these people? Why can't I just be addicted to work? And flash forward to now, and like that, now that is my drug. That is absolutely my, Mm -hmm. food was my drug, and now this is my drug. So again, just putting that work in, you can get anywhere that you want to be. We all have different idiosyncrasies and different behaviors and things like that. And so we can use them for good, or we can use them for 
not so good. And so I, you know, somebody, uh, I heard somebody say, I don't know, within the last month or so that, you know, podcasting, it gives you this wonderful dopamine hit. I'm like, well, maybe that's why I love doing my podcast. I love interviewing people and love doing that. Um, I just, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it myself. And I'm thinking that it's for other people and it is for other people, but I also believe that it's part of what I love to do as well. And honestly, I mean, I've never heard it said that way that people in recovery often are entrepreneurs, although I know lots of them and me being one too, I just don't want to be, I just, I call it because I'm an Enneagram four who just wants to be authentic and seen for me and who I am. And I just don't want to be fit into this little box that we all have to do things the same way and have to be a nurse this way or do, you know, but but who knows? Maybe it's part of it. Maybe it is part of that control thing that I want to be able to control my own destiny. But I also think that there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that's a great way you and me both. I mean, we're both entrepreneurs. We can really, we can work hard. We can create the life that we want, the life that we have always dreamed about um, because we're putting in the work and taking control of things in in a good way. Yeah. Like, like you said, it's that good dopamine hit. Like instead of that food hitting or, or that alcohol or what, or, you know, cause that was another poison for me. It's when I get a sale, that dopamine rushes, whoo, that feels good. Mm-hmm. It does. But I think that that's, again, I think that's a good point to, to bring up is just, um, again, finding things that it, it's okay for finding things that do bring you joy, that give you that, that dopamine, like, Hey, this is really making me feel good. And that's where it's helping create income so that you can live a life and all that. So it's a good thing. So it's okay to keep going with that, but identifying that, that we're going to switch from here to there. This was something that I never was able to sustain in my eating disorder because at one point, I think around 2016, I did try to do my own social media business and I was too busy binging and purging to to, to take care of my clients. I was feeling guilty all the time because I was taking people's money and I was honestly doing like the bare minimum, which if you were my client back then, I'm like, so sorry. If you want a free blog, like hit me up. I'll, I'll do something right, right. for you. I was not in the right state of mind to be running a business. And that like, God, like that, that ate away at me every day too, because I would have these like to-do lists. And instead I would just plop myself in front of the TV and, you know, do my thing. Um, and so that another, when, when we talk about choosing joy every day that I'm able to, even if I don't like make a sale in a day or whatever, but every day that I'm like sustaining my business, I'm like, I, this, this is the person that I wanted to be back when I couldn't be that person. Like I am that Mm. person now. And how cool is that? Well, and I think that that's great. Like celebrating the wins. And I think we live in a society that we're looking at everybody else and comparing and like, oh, maybe we're just not enough and all that. But really what you're saying is that that you are, we are every day that we're getting up and we're choosing joy, we're choosing to do the right thing, then that's okay, right? We are okay. And it's all, it's all good. And I think you bring it up an important point too, when we talk about comparing ourselves to people, because that's one way to choose negativity instead of choosing joy. And I used to love to torture myself in that way. I love to scroll on Instagram and see other people and just rot with jealousy over it and have it eat at my core. And I don't do that anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I, 
you got to step away from like the comparing and, and find ways to choose joy because that scrolling is definitely choosing negativity. It's very easy to do. It's easy to hop in there and get sucked into, get sucked into that, that whole motion of just looking and looking and before you know it, half your, right? Half your day is gone. A really good book that I read recently um, is called The Gap and the Gain. You might, you might enjoy that. Um, Maybe the listeners will too. I mean, it was a really transformational book, if you will, if you want to use that word. I mean, it's just, it was really like, I loved every single page of it because I tend to often live in that gap. And I've heard that there's, you know, I've also heard about, you know, neuro programming and things like that. And if, if we look at a gap between our goals, say that we're here and we want to get here, if we look at that gap, then our brain kind of goes to work to know, figure out how to close the gap. So there is some, there's some truth to that, but this book really focuses on the fact that we live in this gap. Like I haven't done enough. I haven't, you know, and I, oh, I haven't reached that goal of this and I haven't reached that goal of that. And oh, the everybody on my team got to go on the trip, but I didn't. Instead of looking at, well, what did I accomplish? Like I've accomplished this. Like you said, this is the girl that I that I dreamed I would be. And I'm still becoming that girl that I dreamed I could be. And I look at all the things that I've gained. You know, I have a lovely husband. I'm just saying these things for you. You know, a lovely husband. I live in a beautiful area of the country and all those those things to look at all of the gains. And that's that idea of being grateful as opposed to looking at all those holes, the things that we haven't done yet or whatever. It's a good, very, very good book. And that, I love that because that word yet is, has also been very important to me is that even just because I don't have it now doesn't mean I won't have it in the future. My impatience was a huge promoter of my eating disorder. And, you know, again, like that can tie in with the comparison. It all ties in together. Right. So so being impatient and just realizing that, like, OK, this person might be this far along now and I might be back here. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to be all the way over here in five years time, you know, the, the very webinar that you and I met on, I remember the woman hosting, she sold out of her retreat, like by the end of one, one day's webinar. And I was like, man, I can't even sell one copy of an ebook right now, you know? (laughs) And I was like, but then I had to talk to myself and be like, you just started in June, honey. Like <laughs> give right. yourself time just because you're not there now. That could be absolutely be me in 10 years. The The difference is putting the work in. And mm-hmm. that's what I learned at the final rehab that I was at was I learned how to put the work in again, the way it was formatted, the other places I would go to, and I would just bide my time 30, 60 days. When I get out, it's going to be the same thing because I had to do that really hard work. It, and, and, and I stayed there for a long time for 65 days. By the time I got out, I was like, you know, determined to, to stay there. Um, so mm-hmm. putting the work in, in every area of your life, consistency, has been like my word of the year almost every year since then because you put in the work mm-hmm. and results will come no matter whether it's recovery or your business. You put in the work, you're going to get somewhere. You're not going to stay here. Right, right. And sometimes it's just those little steps that we can take every day. You know, if it is in our business, if it's the, mm-hmm. the reach outs or writing a few words or reading a few 
you know, reading a book or, you know, something like that. And, you know, the gal that we were on the webinar with, I mean, she shares her whole journey and she does put the work in. Talk about somebody that puts the work in and she's getting the results. And I think that that's another message to show people is to, and for them to hear is like, if you're wanting to get here, get someplace on the, like, align yourself, follow people, read, you know, look, at, find people that are where you want to be, be it that in recovery, if it's in business or whatever, find somebody that's already there seemingly and follow them and learn about what they do and ask them questions if you can. And because that's going to help you get, because there was one time that that person was over here, just like you said, there was one time that you were in treatment. There was one time that I was in college and struggling and just felt out of control in my life, but I'm here now. And that's what I always like the message to be like, I'm not, I'm no perfect person. I'm just farther along the path than you are. And I put my hand back to say, come on, I'll teach you what I've learned, but come along. I'll bring the motivation. I'll bring the passion and stuff like that. I'm just a little bit farther down and you can come too. But, you know, again, so follow those people that you're inspired by because they can really help you get a little bit farther on down that path. Yeah. Many people that I've interviewed, again, they've gone on to help people in that area. And you haven't, I mean, you're in a different career with copywriting and writing and things like that. Do you do any type of speaking engagements or things like that to share your story or just share it when you, when you can? I love being on a microphone. So any (laughs) chance for me to get up and tell my story, I'm so, so happy to do. Um, Because I'm a theater major, I'm very good at public speaking. So while I haven't done any of that yet, that is definitely something that's on my agenda. I also am an an aspiring TV writer. So I perform stand-up comedy all over South Florida um, so that's if you want to hear me make kind of jokes about the whole thing, which is mm-hmm. again, so far away from this podcast, but you know, that's therapy as well, you know, kind of mm-hmm. being able to laugh a little bit and interject some humor, even though it's an extremely serious topic. Well, and sometimes you have to laugh before, you know, instead of, instead of going about crying and things like that. So, well, as we finish up our time today, again, so glad to have anybody on this show that can share their story. And, you know, for somebody like you, since I met you, just you are filled with joy. You're happy. You're living in this great, you know, this great attitude of that you're grateful, you know, every single day that you get to be alive. So again, I think it's wonderful. And um, I love to talk with people that have, again, gone through that road because it does give other people, you know, gives other people hope. Any last words as you kind of, you know, finish up today that perhaps you'd like to tell my audience that that is listening? Yeah, I would just say don't judge yourself on where you are in your journey, because even with how far you can come, you might always be set back. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be propelled forward to something even better. I'm talking about in your recovery, in your business, wherever. Don't judge yourself on the failures. Don't go down the shame spiral. Talk to yourself and just reframe. That's another last thing I can tell you. Reframe those thoughts to be filled with joy instead of negativity. And it will make a difference in, in your daily it will. daily aura. If people want to connect with you, can you um, can you tell people where they can find you if you're okay with that? Absolutely. Probably the easiest one for me to shout out is my Instagram, my comedy Instagram, which is at comedy Jill. 
That's the easiest one to remember. If you want to talk copywriting, we can go from there. I'll take you down that path. If you want to talk eating disorders, please. I, I'm always here to, to discuss, you know, helping people through. So at Comedy Jill on Instagram, it's the easiest way to remember how to get in touch with me right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you uh, shared that. And that'll be in the show notes as well. But thank you, Jill. Again, thanks for opening up again with me during that webinar, which was not at all about about eating disorders. But again, I love that you did. And, um, you know, again, anytime that we can continue to just talk about finding things that bring us joy. And uh, I love that playing the tape through I'm going to write I don't know, I feel I feel called to write that down and put it up on the wall, like play the tape through because I think that we can really use that in so many areas of our life. Absolutely. You know, just play it through. Oh, yeah, just play it through. And then be um be aware of the choices that you're making so yeah choose joy yeah so thanks jill thank you so much and um thanks listeners again continue to share these podcasts so we can get these hopeful stories out and we'll catch you next time hey there ready to live a more joyful life considering connecting with someone who can help you if so i'd like to be that person i offer a free consultation where we determine where the chaos is in your life and how you can learn to bring more joy each and every day. Visit my website, moiragorski.com, or simply email me, moira at moiragorski.com, with more joy in the subject line. I look forward to connecting, and I'm here to say there will always be some chaos, which requires a little juggling, but you can find joy and live your life intentionally filled with that joy. Let me help you on your journey to joy, and that's joy the journey of you.